0: morning church, how are you, is everyone good? Awesome, it's so good, welcome everybody watching online and at our Marshall campus, so good to see people in person here. Um, are you happy to be here? Yes. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you got to see me this morning, why don't you tell them that. What a joy it is to be with you. Um, as already mentioned, I have been able to be with this church multiple times, It's so good to be back. Uh, also, I know my good friend, Dr. Bryant Wright, has been with you multiple times. And I just want to say on behalf of the North American Mission Board, thank you so much for your partnership in the gospel. Because, because of that, we're able to plant churches all over the place. Uh, we're able to uh, do compassion ministries, and specifically right now uh, in the areas of Afghanistan and Hurricane Ida relief. And then also what I do of being able to reach young adults and college students and teenagers with the gospel and mobilize students with the gospel uh, to reach their generation uh, with the gospel. So thank you so much for what you do. And thank you for allowing me uh, to be here. I do want to tell you real quick up front about two resources. Um, If you have your phone, would you get your phone out? I'm going to tell you about a free resource that you can utilize right now, those at our Marshall campus and watch online. If you would just grab your phone, open your text messages, And if you'll text the word CONVERSATIONS to 888-123-PUSH-SEND, you'll get a response back. You'll click that link. We just created a brand-new YouTube channel that's geared specifically for young adults, college students, teenagers. Um, And every other week we put up a new teaching video that's usually a a short teaching by myself or invited in guests. We have a partnership with the Initiative Worship Collective. And uh, every, week, or every other week we post new videos of just worship songs, testimonies, all geared toward the next generation. So even as older adults, if you have um, kids or grandkids that fall in the next generation, this is a great resource for you as well. The great thing about doing it through that um, text messaging route is every other week when we post a new video, you'll get an update that a new video has been posted. So we're so excited. We're just uh, are uploading a new series right now called Gen Z and Revival. So excited about that! I believe God is doing incredible things amongst Gen Z right now, and in fact, this year already, I've seen more young adults, college students, teenagers get flat out saved this year already than the previous probably five years of ministry combined. I believe that God is moving amongst the next generation, <laughs> and God is doing incredible things. And I'm telling you, uh, I'm one. Uh, I def- I love Gen Z. Uh, In fact, I am so sick of hearing people pick on a generation. We need to stop picking on a generation, start praying for a generation because I believe that revival is going to take place in Generation Z. In fact, I've stopped even referring to Gen Z as Gen Z and started referring to it, uh, that generation, as the revival generation. It's currently a prayer request, but I believe we're going to see it be a reality that would lead the church. Um, for the name, fame, and the glory of King Jesus. So these are my people right here. I'm so glad to see you uh, all right. So awesome. Let's, let's have some fun. Let's dive into God's word. If you have your Bibles, let's look at Acts chapter 1. As you're turning there, I want to tell you about one more resource that we do have available here at the Longview campus. Um, if you're watching online or at the Marshall campus, it's available everywhere books are sold. Um, but I recently wrote a book with Waterbrook Multnomah and Penguin Random House called Nine Common Lies that Christians believe. And basically the idea of the book is there are some cultural cliches, some one-liners that we as the church, for lack of a better term, have adopted into our faith, baptized them, and made them a part of our vernacular, but they're not biblically true. Uh, I'll give you some examples. Have you ever heard this cliche before? God won't give you more than you can handle. How did 2020 work out for you, right? Uh, What about this one? Follow your heart. Believe in yourself. If a loved one dies, God gains another angel. Listen, what if those are more than sentiments? What if they're actually lies that will hold us back in our faith? Because we typically share those with people who are struggling. And what we know is what's going to get us through those dark nights of the soul is God's holy word and not some cultural cliche that's not even biblically true. Would you agree with that? So each chapter takes one of those cliches What does the Bible actually have to teach about that and a better truth to move forward with? Response has been amazing. Hundreds upon hundreds of churches have used it as a sermon series, small group study. Um, The reading plans on the YouVersion Bible app have been completed over half a million times. Uh, It's been a number one bestseller. And please hear my heart in that. In no way to bring glory to myself, all glory to God, because if you know me at all, I am a moron, all right? Uh, I grew up in the country. So me and my friends, we used to time each other how long we could hold on to an electric fence without letting go, all right. So I have a lot of brain cells left so God truly gets the glory on that, all right. But that is available, all right. But let's look at the greatest book of all time, God's holy word, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is right before Acts chapter 2. Does that help anybody? All right. Hey, I want you to know, I'm one of those preachers, I welcome amens, welcome praise the Lord, welcome hallelujahs. In fact, I'm going to make a deal with you for every Amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Here, I'm going to take 30 seconds off the sermon. How about that? Amen. Now, I've been told, all right, like the 8 o'clock, they were hyped. The last service was hyped. I've heard this is the most hyped service, all right. Uh, that's probably because some of you probably slept to 1030 today, all right, right. But you're here. That's what's important, all right. All right, so let's dive in. All right, I've been asked by the church to preach a sermon on reaching the next generation. So if you're in the sermon titles, the title of today's sermon is Helping the Next Generation Be the Now Church. Helping the Next Generation Be the Now Church. If you have something to write on and write with, those in Marshall and those watching online, would you go ahead and get that out? And I'm going to give you three points from Acts, give you some statistics, but more than anything, I pray this would be an encouragement to you and a reminder of what we know to be true. This same gospel that has worked for two thousand years still works today, and I want you to see this in Acts chapter one, starting in verse three. So Luke is the writer, and I love the account of the acts because really the account of the acts of the apostles is really how our church began, the New Testament church. It's the birth of the New Testament church. So let's start there. Look at verse three. It says he, that's Jesus, presented himself. Alive, I want you to underline that in your Bible. Alive to them after his suffering, that's referring to the cross. By many proofs, underline that in your Bible not a few proofs, not a couple proofs, but by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Number one, would you write this down? Now is the time to stick to the gospel. Now is the time to stick to the gospel. So the number one question I get in my role at NAM as National Next Gen Director, which means I oversee all of our ministries of young adults, college students, teenagers, the number one question I get is, "Hey Shane, what what's the secret of reaching the next generation? What's the secret?" I'm gonna give you the secret. All right, I'm gonna give you the secret up front. Here's the secret. Ready? There is no secret, but there is a gospel that has worked for 2,000 years. Stick to the gospel. The gospel is the need for every generation. Whether you're five or 105, the hope of the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Outside the walls of this building is a hopeless world, a joyless world, a world full of death, and a world full of conflict. Here's what we know. A hopeless world needs hope. A joyless world needs joy. A world full of death needs life. And a world full of conflict needs peace. Here's what we know as the church, that hope has a name, joy has a name, life has a name, peace has a name, and that name is Jesus. Stick to the gospel. Anytime the church gets on any other agendas, we fall on our face. Stick to the gospel. That is the hope of the world. And in fact, we need to be reminded of this. Of the gospel work in our life. Listen, friends, we don't mature past the gospel. We mature in the gospel. Amen. And I think sometimes the longer we're followers of Jesus and we learn some doctrine and we learn some theology, we forget how desperate we once were for a savior. And I promise you this if the gospel can save you, it can save anybody. Listen, we were not just people who needed a little bit of saving, we need full salvation. We were born sinners separated from God. There was something wrong with us. No one in this room or no one watching online or no one at the Marshall campus has always been a Christian. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people do. Because there was only one who was good and his name was Jesus. And you're like, well, preacher, you don't know me. I'm a good person. Well, the Bible says, you shall not tell a lie. <laughs> so raise your hand if you've ever told a lie before. You're not raising your hand, you're lying right now. See, we're sinners in need of a Savior. There's something wrong with us. How many of you admit, in the room where I can see you, how many admit there's something wrong with you? Anybody want to admit that? You know what that is? It's sin. How many of you are sitting next to someone, there's definitely something wrong with that person, right? What is it? It's sin. There's something wrong with us. No one's been a Christian their whole life. We need to understand this, especially in the South. We get this wrong. You ever been talking to somebody and you go, hey, man, when would you become a Christian? They go, oh, I've always been a Christian. What they mean by that is ever since they were in their mama's womb, they went to a building that had a steeple on top or a cross on the side. Now, listen, Marvel, this is an amazing building. But does sitting inside this building make you a Christian? Just like sitting inside a Taco Bell does not make you a burrito. We understand that, right? <laughs> Buildings don't make Christians. Jesus does. Christianity is not something you're born into. It's something you have to be reborn into. We need the gospel. And if the gospel can not save us, the gospel can save anybody. Listen, the same gospel that saves us is the same gospel the generations need. It's the same gospel the next generation needs. It's the same gospel... That everyone in your life needs. It's the same gospel that this nation needs and the nations need. It's the gospel of Jesus. And I love it. He reminds us of the gospel. It says he, Jesus, presented himself alive to them. Listen, the tomb is empty. And if Jesus overcame the grave, it changes everything. Listen, friends, the tomb of Jesus is empty, but the throne of God is full of the risen King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus. The stone was not rolled away so he could get out. He's God. The stone was rolled away so that the church could see in and see that it's empty and it changes everything. He is the hope. And think about it. Let's talk about our cultural context. Did you realize today across the world there are over 4,200 different world religions? Did you know that? 4200. And what's being taught today is all are equally true. All are equally valid. Now I'm going to show you where that's not true. I want to ask you a question. Here's some good apologetics this morning. I'm going to ask you a question. Why should we ever follow someone who can't do anything different than we can do all by ourselves? Let me ask that again. Why should we ever follow someone who can't do anything different than we can do all by ourselves? Here's what I mean by that. Not too long ago, I read a statistic, and this statistic blew my mind. It was a sobering statistic. I'm gonna share it with you, all right? It's, it's mind blowing. I'm gonna tell you this. All right. This statistic said this one out of one dies. Can you believe that? Mind blowing. So that means this I can live, I can die. Be buried and stay dead all by myself. So why should I follow or revere or worship someone who can't do anything different than I can do all by myself? Let me give you some examples. Buddha of Buddhism lived, died, was buried, stayed dead. I don't know about you. I can do that all by myself. Why follow him? Why revere him? Let's take Muhammad, the central figure of Islam. He lived, he died, he died. He was buried. He stayed dead. I don't know about you. I can do that all by myself. Why follow him? Why revere him? Let's take Joseph Smith of Mormonism. He lived. He died. He was buried. I think you get the theme, Marbury. He what? He stayed what? Dead. 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 I don't know about you. I can do that all by myself. Why follow him? Why revere him? But here's the gospel. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He lived He claimed he was God. He proved time and time again he is God. He died on a cross in our place as the perfect sacrifice, as the perfect substitute. He died. He was buried. And three days later, not by a few proofs, but by many proofs, he did what Buddha did not do. He did what Muhammad did not do. He did what Joseph Smith did not do. Our Jesus busted out of the grave. Now, I don't know about you... I can't do that all by myself. I think I'll follow him. I'll worship him as the one true God. He is the hope of the world. Stick to the gospel. Sometimes, I think especially when it comes to reaching the next generations, we overthink it so much that we forget the basics. Stick to the gospel. That is the hope of the world. And someone shared it with you. Now we get to share it with others. How many of you are so glad someone told you about Jesus? Now we get to go tell the world. Listen, we have something, church, that Amazon can't deliver. The life-saving, life-transformation message of Jesus Christ. The gospel. Number two, now's the time to be the church. Now's the time to be the church. I love this one. Jump down to verse 8. You've probably seen Acts 1-8 on the back of a missions t-shirt on a poster. But look at this promise Given by Jesus, in a sense, this is the last statement Jesus gives before he ascends into heaven. Look at Acts 1.8. It says, but you, let's make it personal, those of you in the room, those of you at the Marshall campus or watching online, if you're sitting next to somebody, I want you to turn to your neighbor one last time and tell them, you, this means you. Tell them that. This means you. All right, look at this. And you will receive power. Now, let's talk about that word power. The original language of the New Testament is Greek, and that word power is the Greek word dunamis or dynamo. It's where we get the word dynamite from. So this is not weak. This is powerful. So he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So this power actually is a person. It's the Holy Spirit of God. It's the greatest power there is. See, that's the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel ultimately is you get God. That God loves you so much, he wants to give you his very best, himself. You get to know God. You get to experience God. You get God living inside of you. See, the moment, according to the New Testament, we repent and believe. Repent means to have a change of heart, change of mind. We believe upon Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life. He places his Holy Spirit inside of us. The same power that ripped Jesus out of the grave and now comes live inside of us. And it changes something. Look at this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you, look at this, you, me and you, will be witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. All right, so there's a lot here. Let's, let's unpack this for a moment. It says, but you, that means me and you, will receive power. That power is actually the Holy Spirit himself. Um, it's what many Bible scholars or theologians would call the New Covenant. Uh, the New Covenant uh, is very important. See, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was involved, but the Holy Spirit would descend upon people and then ascend back off of people for special roles, tasks, or positions. They'd be anointed by the Holy Spirit for a season or for a role or a task, but the Holy Spirit would come and go. Then you get to the Gospels, and Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So these followers, they got to walk with God, they got to talk to God, they got to follow God, they got to go fishing with God, they had God cooked them breakfast, how awesome is that? But Jesus, God himself says, it's better if I go so that another can come. And he's talking about the comforter, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. How would that be better? Because of this promise that would be fulfilled in Acts 2. Watch this the Holy Spirit wouldn't come and go, the Holy Spirit would move in and never move out. See, we wouldn't just walk with God and follow God and be side by side with God, we would get God inside of us. And it's not a weak God, it's an all powerful God. So that means as the church, we have the greatest power there is inside of us. That's why it's time for the church to be the church. So many times, the things we do, we regret, We do it out of fear, and we have nothing to fear. See, outside the walls of this building, yes, there is a dark power taking place. You look at culture and go, there's a dark power at work. There's a demonic power. There's an evil power. But guess what, church? The power inside of us is greater than that power. 1 John 1, 4 says, he that is in us is greater than he is in the world. Romans 8, if he is for us, who can be what? Against 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 us. We have nothing to fear. We have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And here's some good Baptist doctrine. When the Holy Spirit moves in, he never moves out. He seals us to the day of redemption. I believe this, once you're truly saved, that's the key, truly saved, you're always saved. Do you believe that? Now we can... Like, quench the spirit, but you don't lose the spirit. You need to walk as the church. And here's the good news is we have this power. Anything we try to do by our own power, we're going to fall on our face anyway. Anybody ever feel like that in your own life? The harder you try, the more you mess up? Well, stop trying and start trusting in the power that's inside of it. And then he says, look at this, you will be my witnesses In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the end of the earth. This is good news. And let me just say this real quick as a free one this morning. 2020 and 2021 and a pandemic and all things going on in culture doesn't change this. We go, man, everything's different. Everything's different. Nothing is the same. Everything is different. Yeah, a lot of things are different. Did you ever think there would be a day that having to cough or sneeze in Target would drive up your prayer life, right? Like, God, don't let me sneeze in here. Don't let me cough in here. But not everything has changed. Jesus Christ has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's never a moment where he sits on the throne and does the face palm and go, ah, I didn't see that one coming. Never once. You know what else hasn't changed? Our identity. If we've been bought by the blood of Jesus and we have the power of the Holy Spirit, we are the church of the most high God. And nothing has changed that. In fact, anything that's going on should help us fall out of love with the world and fall more in love with the one who created the world. And point people to the greatness of Jesus. We're the church. So it's time to be the church. And it says we will be witnesses. Now, let me address this real quick. Because I'll just be honest. This is where I think we get it wrong in the American church a lot. is because often the way we set up the American church is like this, right? You get saved. Then you get dunked in water. Then you sit on your blessed assurances. Going to a bunch of potluck dinners. Waiting for the rapture bus to swoop down and pick us all up. And in the meantime, we watch all the professional Christians do the ministry. And who are the professional Christians? The staff. And the moment the church staff does something we don't like, we write them a little email in Jesus' name, right? (laughs) But that's not the New Testament church. See, the New Testament church says our leaders are, watch this, to equip the saints for ministry. And who are the saints? According to the New Testament, the church. If you've been bought by the blood of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God. You are a saint. Did you know that? Anybody ever feel more like an ain't than a saint? <laughs> You're a saint. It's not just a football team in New Orleans. Not just people in old paintings with halos around their head. We are saints. And if our jobs of our leaders are to equip the saints for ministry, why is it that that's their job? Because we're called to ministry, every single one of us. How many of you in the room where I can see you go, Shane, I know without a doubt that I I am the church. I have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me. If you know that, without a doubt, would you just raise your hand, don't be ashamed of it. Now look at all the, around the room at all these people called to ministry. We're called to live on mission. We're called to be witnesses, every single one of us. So you go, well, Shane, if that's my ministry, if that's my mission, if that's my purpose as the church, what is my ministry? I want everybody in the room, watching online at our Marshall campus, I want everybody to put your two feet on the floor, just real quick, I'm gonna give you a visual. Put your two feet on the floor. All right, do you see that floor between your two feet? That floor between your two feet, at any point of the day, that's your ministry. That's your mission field. That's where you're called to be the church. That's where you're called to be witnesses. So it changes everything. Your school is your mission field. You're sent there to know Jesus and make Jesus known. That's our job as the church, to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. And I love seeing so many young people. In this service, Let me just also say this, too, for the young people and for the adults who are listening. Listen, the young people who know Jesus are not the future of the church. You know how we tell them, hey, you're the future of the church. You're the future of the church. And I know what we mean by that, future leaders, influencers, sure. But according to the Bible, theologically, if you've been bought by the blood of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God. You are not the future of the church. You are the church right now. That you have a calling on your life now. You have the great commission on your life now, and listen, church, we need to mobilize that generation to be the church right now. Because here's what I can tell you about Gen Z as we start getting a little more practical on this. Gen Z is not scared to die young. If you're around them, I'm around well over 100,000 of them every year. They're not scared to die young, but they are terrified of boredom. (laughs) And if we make this boring, that is our fault because following Jesus is not boring. Living for the kingdom is eternal impact, and there's nothing greater than that. So let's mobilize the generation to be the church of today and let them. Isn't it sad sometimes culture gets this right better than the church does? Think about it 15 year olds are creating their own brands of social media. Did you realize there's more millionaire teenagers alive in the United States today than any point in US history because of TikTok and YouTube? Sixteen-year-olds are operating motor vehicles. Seventeen-year-olds are in the workforce. Listen to this. Eighteen-year-olds are holding weapons, protecting our freedoms, serving in our military. College students are changing the world, starting businesses, starting nonprofits. Listen, if they can do those things, they can be the church. And we need to let them. And it matters. Why? Let me tell you about the current mission field that we're facing. Listen, your school is a mission field. Your job is a mission field. You go, man, I don't like my job. Well, love your mission field. Your family, that's your mission field. How many of you have family members that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior? I do. Aren't they the most difficult sometimes? Because think about it. Every family has got at least one weirdo in it, right? (laughs) The weird cousin, the weird uncle. Right now, I want you to think of who the one weirdo is in your family. If you don't know anybody, it's you. You're the one, all right? (laughs) Our neighborhood, did you realize you're called here in East Texas to know Jesus and make Jesus known? Not everybody in Texas is a Christian. They may think they are because they live in Texas. They're like God, country, and guns, but lost it on their way to hell. And then the nations. But you know another mission field? The generations. I love Psalm 145. Psalm 145 says this. says, one generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. That means this, the reason we exist today for thousands of years, one generation was faithful to point the next generation to the mighty acts of God. And that generation was faithful to point the next generation. And that generation was faithful to point the next generation. And that generation was faithful to point the next generation. And generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. Till you get to us today and listen, friends, the kingdom of God was here before us. It will be here after us. It's bigger than us. We don't start anything, we don't end anything. It's just our turn to be faithful, Amen. to point the next generation to the greatness of God so they can point the next generation after them. It's what we're called to do. And I want to encourage you, some of uh, you older saints in the room, um, you know, we don't say senior adults anymore. Um, You know, people don't like that term senior adults. So for the classics, you know, the classics in the room, listen, we need you. You're not done. So many times we'll say, well, I've done my time. I'm going to hand it over. I'm done. Listen, if you ain't dead, you ain't done. Titus 2, we need the older men to take the younger men. We need the older women to take the younger women. Listen, as long as there's life and breath in your lungs, God's still using you. God's still calling you. There's a generation that still needs you. And listen, friends, we don't retire from this. We just graduate one day. Still need you. Still need you. Thank you. And thank you for being a church. First of all, I've been with this church. This is a church that believes in the next generation. You have some incredible next generation leaders. Can we give the Lord a hand for them that serve in this church? Listen. All right, now, let me give you some realities. All right, Gen Z, real quick. Generation Z um, is those that are currently young adults, college students, high school students, junior high students, older, pre Let me give you some stats, and then we'll land the plane. Um, according to Business Insider, there are currently 72 million Generation Zers alive in the United States today. It's the largest generation. All right, now, here's some sobering realities. According to Wall Street Journal, less than 30% of Generation Z says religion is important to them. Not even Christianity, just religion. If this be true, then statistically speaking, Generation Z is the least religious generation we've ever seen. According to Barna Research Group, less than 20% of Generation Z says attending church is important to them. That's why when you see young people here, man, affirm them, celebrate them, encourage them, because they are a minority of their generation. Less than 20% says attending church is important to them. Now, I know attending church doesn't mean you're a Christian. We already talked about that. But there's some things we can make assumptions about, that if 80% of Gen Z has nothing to do with the local church, you can make some assumptions that the large majority of them probably don't have a saving relationship with Jesus as Lord and Savior, or at least they're not growing and thriving in their relationship with Jesus as Lord and Savior. If that be true, 80% of 72 million, wrap your mind around this, that means this, 57.6 million generations Zers are spiritually lost or not connected to the local church, if they created their own state, they'd be the largest state in the nation by over 18 million people. California would be second. That means this. You could, I don't want to be melodramatic. I don't want to be overly sensitive here, but I do want to be sobering with this. You could almost call Generation Z an unreached people group, and what we need is missionaries to raise up that would go after this mission field. And I'm telling you, the most effective person at reaching a college student with the gospel is another college student that has a heart that beats with passion for Jesus. And that same heart is broken over the spiritual lostness of their generation. The most effective person at reaching a teenager is another teenager in that same scenario. So as the church, we get to love this generation and encourage this generation and equip this generation to be the church of today. And we all have a role in that. And now's the time Statistically speaking, let me just throw this out for time's sake. Statistically speaking, 77% of all Christians surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior before the age of 18. In fact, I want you to see it in this room. If you're in this room, surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior in your life before the age of 18, would you raise your hand and put it up high? Look around this room. Next Gen Ministries matter. Would you agree? before the age of 30. So would you raise your hand if you surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life before the age of 30? So that would be more hands. All right, everybody under the age of 30, like, yeah, 95%. What you're doing matters. And listen, we're all involved and there's no excuses to go, well, I'm not that smart or I'm getting older or I'm just ordinary or I have a past. Anybody ever feel like God can't use you because you're so ordinary or you have a past? All right, listen, that's exactly who God uses. We all have excuses. In fact, I want to say it like this. If you're in this room or watching online or on Marshall campus and you were voted most likely to succeed or you were the best athlete or you were most handsome or most beautiful, or you were the homecoming queen or the prom king, I want you to know there's good news. God can use you too. <laughs> what I mean by that is typically who God uses is broken, ordinary people. God's not looking for all-stars. He already has one of those. His name's Jesus. Just looking for the church that will follow the all-star Jesus and go all in and walk in his power. There's all kinds of excuses throughout the Bible. Think about it. Our Bible heroes all had excuses. And think about how God used them. Think about Abraham was too old. Jacob was a liar. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. Elijah was depressed. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. <laughs> Peter denied Christ. Martha worried about everything. Do you know anybody like that? The Samaritan woman was divorced a lot. Zacchaeus was too short. Paul was too legalistic. And Lazarus was dead. (laughs) If God can use them, God can use you. And it's the same God. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Be the church. We get to do that. Yes. And then number last. Number last. You know what it means when a preacher says he's almost done? Not much, but we're almost done, all right? Number last, now's the time to go. So number one, now's the time to stick to the gospel. That's how you reach the generations. Now's the time to be the church. That's what we're all called to do. We are all called to be a part of this game. Nobody gets to sit on the bench. We're all in the game. To know Jesus and make Jesus known here, near, and far. If you'll notice, that was the, the direction he gave. Say in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. If you were to pull up a map where Jesus says this, they're in Jerusalem. So he gives this model of moving out, that we're to be the church here, and near, and far. And then number last, now's the time to go, meaning there's got to be urgency. Everything we're going to do in knowing Jesus and making Jesus known has to happen today because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, maybe you go, man, the person in my life that needs to know Jesus is me because you can't give away someone you don't have yourself. So maybe you need to know Jesus, and here's the good news. As long as there's life and breath in your lungs, you have an opportunity to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life and to know Jesus and have that forgiveness, eternal life, and live out the purpose of your life. In fact, that's why you were created. You'll always feel like something's missing as long as someone is missing, and he has a name, and his name is Jesus. Who do you need to tell about Jesus? Maybe for you, it's your kids or grandkids. Some of you may be you, the person you're thinking about right now that doesn't know Jesus or away from the Lord is your kids or grandkids. And I feel the weight of that. I didn't become a Christian until I was 21. The first 21 years of my life, I was building my testimony. You know what I mean? <laughs> Far from the Lord. A lot of partying in high school and college. Both my parents and grandparents were believers, and they would pray for me. Listen, never underestimate the power of a praying mama and a praying dad, and a praying grandmother, and a praying grandfather. In fact, my mom would know I was going to a party a lot of times in college. She goes, I know you're going to that party. I'm going to pray God make you sick. And I'm like, no, mama, don't pray that, right? Because I knew God answered those prayers. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep pressing in. Now's the time to do it. Maybe for you it's a friend or someone you go to school with or a co Maybe someone in your neighborhood, the nations. Maybe you have a heart for the nations. You feel God's raising you up to be a missionary. Now's the time to know him and to make him known. See, I think we understand the reality of death, but what we don't often understand is the reality that Jesus is coming back one day. I want you to look at this at 9, 9 through 11 and we'll be done. I love these verses. It says, And when he, Jesus, had said these things, As they, the disciples, were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is what is known as the ascension of Christ. I mean, imagine, this is like an ultimate mic drop moment. Here's Jesus going, you're going to receive power. You're going to be witnesses. You're going to be the church. And I can imagine all the disciples are like, yeah, that sounds awesome. They're giving each other high five, knuckles, and then he just ascends. He just goes, zoom, God. Can you imagine that? Like, Can you imagine you're one of the disciples and go, did you just see that? Like, he was here, and there he's gone. Like, Peter, did you see that? Bartholomew, did you see that? Bubba. There should have been a disciple named Bubba. I'm just saying. (laughs) Bubba. you see that? Their mouths are gaping open, mouth breathing, flies are flying in and out. How do we know this? Well, look at verse 10. It says, while they were gazing into heaven, just standing there staring, as he went, behold, two angels stood beside them. So the Bible says two men in white robes. These are angels. Verse 11, and listen what these angels say. It's a charge to us today as well. It said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, whom was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go. Here's what they're saying. Hey, hey, stop staring at the sky. Go get busy. Go be the church and go know Jesus, make Jesus known. Go be witnesses. Go in the power. Go. Now's the time. Because just like Jesus came earth the first time Jesus is coming again listen if this was true 2000 years ago how much more true is it today Jesus is coming back do you believe that he's coming back and we don't talk about it much anymore but you know who's interested the next year I've gotten more questions from young adults college students and teenagers about the second coming of Jesus and spiritual warfare in the last two years than probably the previous 18 years of ministry combined because people are very aware of what's going on around them. So Jesus is coming back. See, I stopped with the resurrection while I go on, on purpose. See, because he shows himself for 40 days, he gives this promise, you'll receive power. And then right after that, he ascends into heaven. And the Bible says he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why did he sit down? Not because he was tired, not because he needed a Starbucks break. He sat down because three very important words he said on the cross. What is it, church? It is what? Finished. He made the way possible to know God. He made the way possible to have eternal life. He made the way possible to live out your purpose. He made the way possible to be forgiven. But that's not the end of the story. Because one day the trumpet's going to blast and the angels are going to shout. And Jesus is coming back for his church. Do you believe that? People ask all the time, when is Jesus coming back? When is he coming back? Have you seen 2020, 2021? Hey, what chapter of Revelation are we living today, right? Listen. I don't know if he's about to come back, but one thing I do know, he is coming back, and today is a heck of a lot closer than yesterday was. Are you ready? I love what one evangelist said. He said the angel Gabriel's gonna toot and we're gonna scoot. That's cool, I like it. <laughs> Now's the time. See, people look at everything going on in the world today, and we almost see Jesus delaying his return as judgment, right? Or God's wrath. We're like, God, if you love us, just come back. God, why are you delaying? Please come back, God, restore, reconcile, redeem. Change this. God, give us a new heaven and a new earth like you promised. God, come back. Please, God, come back. This is a mess. God, come back. And he's delaying. We almost see that as his wrath. And I'm here to tell you, I think it's more of a picture of his grace and mercy. Because as long as he delays, we have an opportunity to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Because the moment he comes back, now turns to never. If you don't know Jesus, now's the time. Because if Jesus comes back, it's too late. Who do you need to tell about Jesus? Listen, it's not our job to save people. We can't do that. That's Jesus' job. But it is our job to point people to the one who can save Jesus. See, God's plan A of reaching the world is the church, and there's no backup plan. That's the plan. It's our job to point people to Jesus. Because the moment Jesus comes back, it's too late. And listen, did you realize the Bible actually talks more about the second coming of Jesus than it does the first coming? Did you realize that? There's more prophecies about Jesus' second coming than his first coming. So I wrote some of them down and how it's different. The second coming of Jesus looks different than the first coming of Jesus. Listen to this. The first time Jesus came, he came as a baby. When Jesus comes back again, he's coming back as a full-grown king. The first time Jesus came, a few wise men bow before him. When Jesus comes again, every knee will bow before him. The first time Jesus came, a few people in a town called Bethlehem knew about it. When Jesus comes again, every tribe, tongue and nation will know about it. The first time Jesus came, he came and wore a crown of thorns. When Jesus comes again, he's coming to wear a crown that says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The first time Jesus came, he came to pay for sin. When Jesus comes back again, he's coming to do away with sin. The first time Jesus came, he came to make peace between God and mankind. When Jesus comes again, he's coming to make war against all of those that oppose God. How many of you are ready for the day that Jesus throws Satan into hell for all eternity? (laughs) Listen, in that same vein, in that same vein, I love this one. I wrote this one down. The first time Jesus came, he came and got a beating. When Jesus comes again, he's coming to give a beating. The first time Jesus came, he came because he loves us. When Jesus comes back for his church, he's coming back because he loves us. And the generations to generations to generations, as long as Jesus tarries, needs to know that truth. Stick to the gospel. The gospel can save me and you, it can save anybody. Now's the time to be the church. That's what he's called us to be. And now's the time to go. There's got to be urgency. Because, listen, friends, here's the reality of our identity. If we've been bought by the blood of Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit of God, we are the church. And as the church, that means we are disciples of Jesus. And as the church, we won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. As the church, our past is redeemed, our present has purpose, and our future is secure. As the church, our face is set, our feet move fast, our goal is heaven, our road is narrow, our way is rough, our companions are few, but our God named Jesus is reliable, and our mission to know him and to make him known is clear. As the church, we cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, hired away, turned back, diluted, or delayed. As the church, it's time for us to be the church outside the walls of a building. It's time for us to grow up and stand up in our faith. As the church, we've got to wake up, pray up, sing up, preach up, pay up, and never give up, let up, back up, or shut up until our Jesus Christ calls us up. That is a reason to get out of bed in the mornings. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wake up instead of saying, good morning, Lord, I say, good Lord, it's morning. But that's a reason to get out of bed. you got the gospel. The world needs it. You are the church. You got the greatest power there is inside of you, God Himself. And now's the time to go do it. Let us pray. Every head bowed, every eye close. I'm going to ask our leaders to come make themselves available. We've done this in every service. If you're here and you go, Shane, the first person in my life that needs to know Jesus is me. In just a moment, I'm going to pray and say, man, the moment I do, don't hesitate. Just tell the person next to you, excuse me, you come grab one of them by the hand and go, I need Jesus in my life. I need him don't know what you're talking about they want to pray with you they're not going to embarrass you or ask you to do anything weird they just want to pray with you and help you with some next steps maybe you're here and you go with with no one looking around we did this in the other services how many of you say Shane my kids don't know the Lord or they've strayed away from the Lord or my grandkids don't know the Lord they strayed away from the Lord with no one looking around would you just put your hands up if that's your story like so many of you it's hard I know you want somebody to pray with you about that and pray for them by name. You come grab one of them by the hand say, would you pray for my kids? Would you pray for my grandkids? But other than that, here's what we're going to do. We've seen at every service, the author just full. By the permission of the leaders, we've called for a church-wide prayer movement. My mentor used to say this, I never forgot, it's in my Bible. Said we should never talk to people about God till we talk to God about people. Meaning every great movement Every great revival starts with a prayer movement and a prayer revival. We want to see revival in our nation. It will never happen in our nation until it happens in our churches. Revival comes from God, but there is people. Could we see a spark of revival right here in East Texas that would spread across the state, across this nation and the nations because a church got serious about praying for people, and got serious about praying for the generation? Let's stop picking on a generation. Start praying for a generation and loving them. So here's what I want to do, a church-wide call to prayer. In just a moment, I'm going to pray and say amen. If you need to make a decision, you come grab somebody by the hand. If you want somebody to pray with you specifically, you come. But other than that, if you're physically able, would you come find a place at this stage and begin to pray for a generation, begin to pray for your mission field. ask God to open up doors of opportunity for you to point people to Jesus. Pray for the nation, pray for the nations. In fact, if your kids or grandkids are in the room, y'all all come up together and lay hands and pray over them here. And listen, I know this is just carpet and wood, but I believe this. When it's covered with the tears and the prayers of the saints, it becomes an altar unto God. What if Jesus came back? He could, and he found this church praying. There's nothing better we could be doing. So I'm going to pray and say, man, the moment I do, I want you to just stand and come. Maybe we'd see a revival. God, you're an amazing God. We thank you for your gospel, and if it saved us, it can save anybody. God, anybody in here that needs to know you and be forgiven and have eternal life today, God, would you draw them for it? God, those who are heavy, burdened because of the lostness or the awayness of their kids or grandkids, God, would you just draw them for it so they can be encouraged by the church? But the rest of us as the church, will we find ourselves desperately pleading that you would save, that you would revive, that you would start a movement, and that, God, you would get the glory and honor through it all. We pray this in the name above every name, Jesus, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, and the church of the Most High God said, amen, would you stand and come?